Are the Texans somehow good? Are big wins and losses of week one? And is Rogers' mind still on hosting Jeopardy? Welcome to Saturday Morning Inspection. since i've seen you it's been like a whole few days i'll tell you what mines it's good to see you again too i mean uh it's been a been a fun couple days uh getting back from charlotte uh over the weekend and it's uh great to get back at it and talking more football with you for your fiance's sake i won't talk too much about what went on in charlotte but uh it was a good time was was a great time it was good meeting your brother too and uh your fiance's uh, brother as well and your old roommate everyone everyone uh it was really nice. We had a great time. So, but we're gonna, a little later in the show. We're gonna give our own personal review of Panther Stadium, the Greater Charlotte area, and if you want to call it the game that happened between the Panthers and the Jets. We'll get a little bit into that later. All right. Uh, that being said, you tried to stump me last week. Now I have the pleasure of trying to stump you. Are you ready for my trivia questions? Let's do it. Let's get after it. See what you got. All right. So for my first question, I have them written down here. I'll start you out with a little bit easier one. Who was the last rookie quarterback to win a playoff game? And I do have some hints if you need one. Last rookie quarterback. Oh, man. That's a really, that's actually a pretty good one. You said that one was easy. Well, you know. All right, give, give me a hint. How about that? Let's okay. The team they beat was the now-known Washington football team. And also, it is within since it's been it's uh, after the year two thousand, two thousand to today. All right. So DC lost to Green Bay recently in the playoffs. They lost to Seattle. I don't think Russell Wilson wasn't a rookie then. Um, Are you sure? Was he a rookie? He was. Was it Russell Wilson? There you go. I convinced was, myself out of you, it. You, I didn't want you to get past it too far, but yes, it was Russell Wilson versus RG3. So, what what a historic game. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, next question. There's only one quarterback in NFL history to have thrown for at least 40,000 passing yards but have never been named to a Pro Bowl. Who was it? Was it Testaverde? No. Kenny Testaverde? Um, I think he got a Pro Bowl when he was in Baltimore. He did that at the Jets, I guess, in the late 90s. 40,000 yards, never been to a Pro Bowl. Um, I will say that is sort of close, team-wise. Oh, jeez. I would say it's not Jim Everett with the Rams in the 90s. I don't think he got up to 40,000. 
a little bit more recent. It's not Detroit with Stafford, is it? He had to go to a Pro Bowl. Uh-huh. Is it Stafford? No, he went to a Pro Bowl. Maybe a little know. bit more personal. Flacco? It was Joe Flacco. Okay, there you go. He was well, named he you're was stunk. named as an alternate one year, but he turned it down. Oh, you're skunking me. Wow. Okay. So, last one. And this one is multiple choice if you like it. I do have multiple choice options for it. Okay. And so I'm gonna describe a player to you, okay, and you name them. Uh, I'm going to let you try to answer it first because it's a pretty famous person. So, uh, I played 19 seasons and never missed a game due to an injury. I was one of the first soccer-style kickers in the NFL. Most of my career wins were with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I wore the jersey number three. I retired in 1985, and John I was... John Stonrude. Who? John Yes, that is it. So I thought it was, yeah, J-A-N is how you sp- say it? Yeah, I think it's Jan. It could be John. I, yeah, I, Jan. Jan Stonrud. So he was second in scoring behind George Blanda. Yeah. So good. Those are a little bit tougher because they're more niche, but you did pretty good. Yeah, I, I should have gotten the Russell Wilson and I overthought myself with that. Um, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take one for three. I'll do better. I'll do better in a couple weeks. Your, yours were a little bit easier than mine were, but I will, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll uh, tone it down a little bit and see if we can find a good mesh point. But all right, um, getting into our recap of last week, do we want to start or end with the Panthers? Let's let's start with Carolina. Let's uh. All let's right. Well, it was your bachelor party, so I will let you start. Right. So, I mean, I think uh, Bank of America Stadium in, in Charlotte, I think it's a cool environment. I mean, we we didn't have great seats by any means, but they felt like good seats. So I, I don't think, think there I will say there is not a bad seat in that stadium. No, no. I think it was really nice stadium, really well, well done. Um, I, you know, obviously the Jets, you know, who, who were visiting, they were not a, a quality opponent. Uh, they did travel well. Exactly. They they had there's a lot of Jets fans there. I would say ten to twenty percent of the stadium. They did a they did a good job, good on their organization and their fan base. Um, I, I you know I was kind of disappointed. You know that you know there's probably a twenty fifteen thousand empty seats in the stadium. I mean I I would have thought it would have been standing room only. First game with fans in such a long time, or at least full stadium in such a long time. I agree. Yeah. Um. I. I so I, I guess like you know, there's maybe maybe Panther Nation isn't as in love with Sam Darnold as, as maybe uh maybe you know Sam Darnold would like him to be, but uh you know I, I think it was a good atmosphere, it was a good game, um, at least to environment and and, and crowd and um, just being involved. I will say the beers are too expensive, but that's probably every stadium. Yeah, thirteen I, I to fifteen dollars for a tall boy Bud Light. You know that's that's every NFL stadium, but uh, that was pretty pricey. Yeah, that got up there quick with five people. I'll say that. Yeah, when you say, "Hey guys, I got the next round," and you have to blow seventy-five bucks to get five beers, it gets a little tough. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to make a choice: do you get the next round or you pay rent? Yeah, you know. You know. And I think the next round is what you have to go with. So, yeah, a hundred times out of a hundred, but you know, you still got to explain it later. Exactly. Exactly. So, but, but uh, I. What did you think about the game? 
Yeah, so I think I think Carolina is definitely more explosive with Darnold and Robbie Anderson. We saw it. Anderson had the big play, kind of opened up the offense. You know, I, I know uh, I sang a lot of McCaffrey's praises, you know, in our very first show we did together. I think he was outstanding. The guy had 90-some on guards receiving, 90-some on guards rushing. I feel like every other play he was getting the football in some way. Everything was positive. Um, definitely the biggest contributor on that team. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, you got to know the Jets were keying on him, right? You, you know, Salah's goal was probably to try and limit and contain Shut down him. McCaffrey. Let's let's keep him out of the game. Yeah, and they weren't able to. I mean, I don't. I think I, that's the, probably one of the toughest jobs. You have yeah, I I do NFL. think uh, Wilson got a, a you know he fought and made a few plays there towards the end, but uh, you know I think uh, that Jets roster around him is just not good. It was um, a real welcome to the NFL type moment. Oh, yeah, especially since I don't know how good Carolina is. I mean, I think they're going to be decent this year, but I don't think they're, you know, they're not world beaters. Um, you know, that being said, it's only going to get harder with Mekhi Beckton getting hurt. We unfortunately witnessed that. He's out yeah. for four to six weeks, I it's, think. It's not going to get much easier for them. So I I saw Wilson was running for his life on a lot of those plays, and I don't – Burns is pretty good, but uh, Carolina doesn't have – as crazy of a front four as some other teams that I have seen that the Jets are going to have to face this year, uh, that really will hurt them. And I think it will be, they got to get him some help. They got to get him some help. Well, and I think they got, and this is maybe it's just, uh, just the personnel they have, but I don't feel like they did a lot of easy, I don't want to say easy throws or anything like that. I didn't see a lot of bootleg play action where he was, you know, the read was made for him. He just had to execute and throw, you know, it seemed like every time he was throwing it, you know, for anything other than a screen, he had to make a hard throw downfield into coverage on third and long. Yeah. You know, he didn't have a lot of easy uh, completions. I didn't see a lot of screens, a lot of, you know, play action uh, plays like that. And I felt like he had to make a lot of big third down conversions. Yeah, and like you said, he was always scrambling trying to make the plays. I think his first touchdown was was on a play like that. So, you know, I think uh, I think Mike Lafleur, who's Matt Lafleur's brother, I think he's the OC up in New York now for for him. And I think Lafleur is going to do a little bit better job. You know, maybe talking with his brother in Green Bay. Maybe he thought Zach Wilson was as good as Aaron Rodgers. I hope not. But uh, so that's well, you know, he was a little bit better than him. But the game plan was almost like it was Rodgers, right? Where everything he was forced to create, make challenging throws down the field. I mean, hopefully LaFleur, Mike LaFleur learns his lesson and, and tries to make it easier for Wilson going forward. If he doesn't, especially with uh, Beckton out with uh, this uh, with the injury, it, it's going to be tough for Wilson and that offense to, to move the football. I'll say, you know, great segue into our next topic. Uh, I guess you call a spade a spade. Um, we were wrong. Uh, Packers versus Saints. Um, I was very... Um, uh, they have a lot of work to do on that Green Bay team. I thought it would at least be close. I thought they would blow them out a little bit easily. I thought uh, Will uh, Winston looked great. Uh, the team, the defense looked great. The whole team looked great, so... <laughs> That was a very interesting game. I think there there were two kind of sides I, I kind of took away from this. The first one is I think this was more Green Bay looked terrible 
did New Orleans necessarily look good? I mean, I think what did Winston threw the ball twenty times or something like that? Yeah, he had like a hundred and less than one hundred and fifty passing yards and five touchdowns. I mean, I th- I think this was a, a story of just the Packers not executing on offense. I think they went one for ten on third down, which you know part of that is the defense, but to be that bad on third down, especially with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. That's a lot of game plan. That's a lot of execution. That's a lot of Rodgers as well. I mean, it, it, you don't expect that poor of a performance. The three turnovers, you know, with with not forcing any on the of their own or making any red zone stops of their own, I, I think it just was a bad day for Green Bay overall. They didn't run the ball well. They didn't protect Rodgers that great. Rodgers did not play well. Um, you know, I guess I'd feel different if Winston came out and threw for 300 in the five touchdowns. And yeah, if he lit him up, it would be it'd make you feel a little bit different about the game. But uh, the Saints defense looked strong. They, they did look good, right? You got to give some credit there, definitely. I I just think um, I I, I kind of wonder. We hit on a little bit last week when we talked about Devontae Adams because obviously they did a really good job with Adams. You know, I, I don't think he had more than 70 yards receiving in the game. Certainly no touchdowns. Um, Outside of Adams, they just don't have any, you know, offensive weapons. They, you I know, know what, what do you do? Like they literally have nobody. Yeah, it, it's it's challenging, and you know, if we kind of talked to you know just a second ago about a one Lafleur brother not giving his quarterback a lot of easy reads, easy throws. You know, Matt Lafleur didn't help Rodgers out either. I mean, especially by the second quarter and third quarter where things were going bad offensively, I felt like it was just a lot of all right. Aaron, try and just create something magical. You know, Adams is double covered. They're eliminating him. Go throw to a six-round pick and uh, make five big-time throws in a row, and maybe we'll score, right? And I, th- I think that's just not sustainable. Um, and I think a lot – I think we kind of saw a lot of the reasons why Rodgers was debating not coming back, right? Because the yeah. team around him just isn't very good. Yeah, uh, he doesn't have a lot of help. Um the defense is supposed to be good, but still they let the Saints put up uh, 30-some-odd points on them. Right. I, th- I think the problem with the defense is they didn't make any third down, like red zone stops. I Maybe mean, just... more of a complimentary type game. The offense wasn't good, so the defense gave up more points than usual. Yeah, I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand, hand, right? Um, I think the defense could have, if they would have made some big plays, a couple early turnovers, maybe some big third down stops in the red zone, keep, keep Green Bay a little in it a little bit longer, I think. Maybe it would have been a different game in the second half, but they couldn't. And once once it got away from him, the the, the wheels really fell off, and New Orleans pulled away late in the game. Um, moving on. Uh, I was very surprised. I'll give my piece on this. Uh, we'll hit these back to back. Neither of us had personally our teams. You know, they were both crazy close games, heartbreaking losses. Uh, but. Neither of our teams pulled it out this weekend. I'm going to touch on the Cowboys Bucks first, and then we'll move. Uh, I'll let you touch on Raiders versus Ravens. Uh, obviously, when I watched the Ravens, I felt very disappointed. I thought we should have blown them out by 40, but so I felt, I'm sure you felt the same way. But this is what I came away with with the Cowboys and the Bucks. Yes, the Bucks are defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, they didn't look like they had much of a Super Bowl hangover. Uh, they looked pretty strong on offense, especially. But Dak is back and better than ever. He was all the way back. He threw for over 400 yards. Uh, they they put up a ton of points on a great Tampa Bay defense. 
you know, like 29 points. That's nothing to slouch at. Um, Zeke is not back. Uh, I don't know if they didn't scheme him into the offense. They might have thrown the ball a ton. But he just hasn't been that impressive to me as of the last two or three years. Um, Amari Cooper looks like the biggest win trade that they've had in a while. Uh, the Raiders traded him away. Why is that? I mean, he's a great player. Uh, the Raiders trade away... Um, I believe they traded um, Khalil Mack to the Bears for another first round, and I don't think whoever they got to replace him was that great. But So they traded away two amazing players, pro bowlers. Mari Cooper looked great. CeeDee Lamb looked great. Um, I think the Cowboys fans have a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I, I will say it's, you know, I, I think Dallas played well enough to win the game. Obviously, they had a late lead. But I think it's what you saw there is sort of the difference when Tampa is obviously more talented than Dallas. Um, the difference from the talent level, you have to take advantage of opportunities. Dallas got some early turnovers in the, in the first half and they settled for field goals. They missed one, they made the other. And when you're playing a team that has that level of talent, you got to convert those plays into touchdowns. You know, you kind of hit on a good, good phrase there, complimentary football, you know, green Bay, stunk on both sides of the ball. Dallas had opportunities. Defense made a few plays. Dallas's offense has to take advantage of that and put that in the end zone twice, right? Because, because it becomes a different ball game. Dallas obviously had a chance to win at the end and, you know, maybe a different call on that play to Godwin. Um, and maybe they do, but they had their opportunities. Really their opportunity was late in the first half when they got those string of turnovers and weren't able to turn them into enough points to, to put some distance or even give them a halftime lead against Tampa. And that's really just what happens when you play a team that's better. That's kind of what the Patriots were always like with Brady too, right? You, you know, you play a good game and some, you'd still lose. And like, gosh, we we're that close, but well, you didn't take advantage of the opportunities. They got some stops. Brady did a good two minute drill and you lost at the end. And speaking of leaving points on the table, uh, Greg, the leg, um, had a disappointing game. Let's hope he can bounce back. I know he's a great player. Um, and I, I say this, I'm pretty sure. John Fossil is your special teams coordinator, right? Yep. Um, and he's followed Zerline around for a long time. He also was a coordinator in Baltimore for a long time. He was a he's a one of my favorite uh, special teams coordinators. Um, but they got to get back in there. You don't want to say he lost the game, but he did lose the game. He missed over seven points. He left seven points on the table. Yeah, I think one of them was a 60-yarder right before half. So, so let's was, say four. Four. I'll, I'll say four, but you lose a game by two, right? I mean, there you go. So, you know. uh, But like you said, Dallas had a million times to get in the game. You can look at it negatively, like they didn't do it. But also, going up against the defending Super Bowl champion, you had a million ways back into a game to beat them. So you know, they look good. Yeah, I think it, you know. Obviously, you want to win. I mean, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But it wasn't it wasn't a disappointing defeat. Um, I you may feel uh, you may feel like you're the victim of one of those disappointing defeats after what happened Monday night. Uh, uh, yeah, between Vegas and Baltimore. I'll I'll give my two cents and I'll let you cover it because I just have two things to say about that. Go ahead. One. You give the ball back to him at the end of the game with thirty the thirty seconds left. The overtime should never have happened. Thirty seconds left, zero timeouts. 
All you have to do is stop them from getting a field goal to tie the game. And you can't do that. And you have one of like the top defenses in the league the last few years. 30 seconds, no timeout. There's no way you should have let them get that field goal off. But it's whatever. And then you go into overtime. Overtime is a toss-up anyways. I don't really like the NFL's overtime rules. I think it's like very hit or miss. Um, but, you know, obviously they had a ton of chances to win the game. You have won the, the best kicker in the NFL. Um, you get gifted. Touchdowns called back. You get the interception. All you have to do is kick a field goal to win it and can't get it done. So it's on them. They got a lot of things to clean up. There's obviously a lot of hurdles they had to overcome with injuries, but it is what it is. Yeah, so I think for me, the game was – I felt Baltimore was in control even though it was close until the first Jackson turnover in the fourth quarter. Um, when I think Baltimore was leading 17-10 to 10 at the time, early in the fourth, I think that kind of – opened up the game a little bit at that point it had been a lot of more contained move the football drives had to be performed and executed um i think that turnover and uh, then vegas got really aggressive uh, offensively baltimore got aggressive defensively which kind of created a slugfest on that side um i think really when i look at the game i look at missed opportunities by both teams but i was really surprised at baltimore's inability to close out right because they had a 17-10 lead, a 24-17 lead, and then a 27-24 lead at different points in the fourth quarter. You know, so I think that that kind of, for a team that runs the ball and plays defense the way they like to do, I think that kind of surprised me. Um, I, I, I think what really kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop was how hyper-aggressive they got defensively. Oh, the covers years were crazy. I, I was very surprised by that. I mean... I think Vegas has some weapons, but I don't think it, you know, I think you can cover them if you, if you give your defenders a chance. I think Baltimore's got some good pass rushers where they can win with rushing four or, you know, maybe bringing one guy, but they left their guys on islands, you know, in the fourth quarter and overtime. And, you know, it, it was, especially after getting beat once or twice that way, I was like, okay, they tried that, didn't work. They're going to mix it up, but they kept going back to it and they kept getting beat and beat and beat. I was very, very surprised by that. So I think, I think Baltimore, Vegas almost gave it away with their turnovers and their disaster at the goal line in overtime. But I think Baltimore, their inability to close out the game up 17 to 10 in the fourth quarter with the football and then two other times having, you know, having a lead. Um, I, th I think that's on the offense for not executing as much as they should have. And I think the defensive coordinator just did it, put them in a terrible position to just leaving them on islands, like you said, cover zero, no one in the middle of the field, blitzing everybody. I say they're clearly the better team, and they had every opportunity to win, but they just could like you said, they can't close it out. Yeah. One testament I will say, though, is Jackson's ability to boost the run game. You put some bum off the street and at running back, obviously you lose your first, your three starting running backs. And, you know, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill all go down season-ending injuries. And you put Tyson Williams back there. He was, he was good at Oklahoma, but he's unproven. He did some stuff, but he ran it pretty well, I would say. Yeah, no, You know who wasn't very impressive? And maybe this is like uh, just getting in was Latavius Murray. He didn't, he wasn't as impactful 
as I thought he would be. Well, there's a reason he was a free agent, right? I mean, there's a reason they, uh, he was cut or or wasn't given the pay cut. So he he quit or whatever, or didn't accept the pay cut and he quit. Um, So there's a reason, right? He was available and they got him so cheap on the one-year deal. So I I think you get a guy like Murray with the hope that, and, and, you know, obviously got Bell too, with the hope that he captures that magic you know, once or twice over the course of the season. And when he doesn't have it, Bell has his old magic. And when Bell doesn't have it, you go to the young guy, Williams, or, or whatever you got to do. Devontae Freeman. You, you, ro- you rotate one guy in. Whoever has it that night, you let them carry the rock. Yeah, and I think I think that's what they're going for at, at that position. Hopefully. Uh, lastly, briefly, before we get into our deep dive topic of the week, uh, one that I called, and this is... My Super Bowl pick, my MVP pick, Rams versus Bears. Uh, Stafford did it. I thought it might take him a little bit longer to warm up, but hey, he looked great. And uh, who who looked great? Is it Stafford or is it McVay or is it both? I think the match has been made. Yeah, I, I think obviously this was my big blown of the week, uh, big blown pick. I thought Chicago had a great chance to go in there and upset them. Um, they obviously didn't do that in any capacity that got ran out of the building. I think it's, it's interesting to me because Stafford was throwing the wide open receivers down the field. Right. And so, you know, and I don't know if that was because McVay had been constrained because golf didn't have a strong arm. So he hadn't been able to vertically stretch like that in the past few years with golf and was more constrained, maybe 30 yards and in, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was a lot of deep guys over the top, a lot of guys wide open on play action. Um, I think, uh, I think the bears probably were not expecting that. Cause I think they probably watched a lot of film of golf and that offense and expected a more 20 yards into the line of scrimmage, you know, uh, kind of attack and play action and not well, something. What do so you look at Stafford on a bad lines team or you say a bad Rams team with golf at the helm? So what you do when you look at the film like that, you look at the uh, if there's no preseason, which there wasn't here, is you look at the offensive coordinator and the play calls he makes. Right. Yes. Because that's the only way you can game plan, because when you game plan as a defense, it's just a reaction to formations and movements and personnel packages. You know, when a team lines up this way, we counter this way or, you know, here's the coverage we want to play. Here's the corner we want on this receiver or or whatever. That makes sense. So you, you don't as weird as it sounds, they don't, they actually probably game planned more for golf than they did for Stafford just cause they didn't have any film on Stafford. With the McVay. McVay system. Yeah. And, and, you know, to McVay and to Stafford's credit and to your credit for picking them. I mean, they blew them off, blew them off the, uh, ran them off the field. Um, you know, I, I thought Dalton was going to come in there and take care of the football, not make dumb turnovers. He did not do that. Um, I think they would have been a little more competitive without those turnovers because they did actually move the ball a little bit. Um, but instead of getting the turnovers on their side, Chicago getting turnovers, uh, the Bears turned it over, Stafford looked great, and it was a blowout. They'll have a little more of a test next week uh, with the Colts, and we'll talk about that later. But um, let's see. Let's, I, I hope they don't get too hot too early. I was hoping for more of a ramp up. Um, one fact I did, we did before we move into our deep dive topic, bringing it back. To Packers Saints. One fact that I read, uh, the Saints opened up against another team last year in 2020, or I guess it was 2019, was the beginning games of the season. 
But um, they played another team who they also beat 38-3, to and the quarterback helming that team also had the worst game of his career. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went on to win the Super Bowl. So uh, do we say that the Packers will win the Super Bowl this year? I don't know, but I will say... Let's lay off of Rodgers a little bit. We know how good he is. We know how good Brady is. They can definitely bounce back. So into our deep dive topic of the week. This is an interesting one. Uh, Scheme versus talent. I think we're really going to talk about the diff. We'll define the differences and then what is more important. A good scheme player or a pure talent player. Um, Before we dive into it too deep. I did a little uh, research, and I thought we should define uh, who a scheme guy is and who a talent guy is. Um, the talent guys are easy. Uh, I've written down some talent guys. It's your Julio Jones, it's your Calvin Johnsons, uh, Ray Lewis, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Randy Moss. Like your guys that, like a great one I thought was Randy Moss. A guy who just moves around to every team, and he's great on any team that he's there. He's a difference maker. Uh, he doesn't need a certain scheme to be put in. He can do it all, really. It, I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's, that's a fair assessment. Um, And then our scheme guys, and you can maybe disagree or agree with me on a couple of these, but I have Dion Lewis for the Patriots. Yep. Um, I'd say he's a scheme guy. I would say that DeMarco Murray maybe was a Dallas scheme guy, maybe. A little. Uh, I had Le'Veon Bell on here because he moved to the Jets and is a maybe he's just not a gay guy, so that one's questionable, I would say. Um <laughs> the this list is pretty long, but your Eric Decker, Julian Edelman, Scotty Miller, Wes Walker, any white short crafty tom brady slot receiver would be a scheme fit i would say um defensively i would say earl thomas is a scheme guy uh he is more of a cover three guy not a man cover two guy um because he did not thrive in baltimore but he did thrive in seattle uh jamal adams i'd say it's kind of a scheme guy a little bit uh he was great on the jets and then he moved into that different role, and he wasn't quite as good, I'd say. I believe, is he in Seattle now? I believe he is. Um, and then finally, my last scheme guy was Darrell Revis. He was an island on the Jets, and this one is also questionable. When he went to the Bucks, was he past his prime? Is that the reason? But also, it's a little bit of a different defensive scheme than the Jets had, and I, you know... He kind of did terrible at the Bucks. Yeah, so I, I think when I look at the difference between scheme and talent, I look at, you know, how is a player constrained, right? So a talent player, and you use Randy Moss, who I think is a great example. A talent player is a guy who's constrained by his organization or his play calling or his coach, right? So we saw Randy Moss when he was with the Oakland Raiders. His production was way down. Right. There were some arguments with the locker room, arguments with the coaching staff and organization. He went to goes to New England after that and is amazing, breaks the record for receiving touchdowns in a season in a 07. And I think as obviously his talent level didn't change. And he was the same guy throughout that time period. 
but I think he was constrained by the organization, the coaches, and the system in Oakland at the time. Uh, he goes to New England where they remove that constraint, and he's very successful. A scheme player is the opposite. A scheme player is supported and accelerated by the coaches' organization uh, system around them. You know, you brought up um, – you know, a lot of, a lot of small wide receivers, the Edelman's, the Welkers, guys like that. I think for me, when I look at scheme versus talent, I look at the comparison between Cole Beasley, the slot receiver plays for the Buffalo Bills, played for Dallas for a while and Randy Moss. So Cole Beasley uh, with Dallas and with Buffalo has been a very, very productive guy, 50, 60, 70 catches a year, moving the chains, third down, doing a lot of good things. Randy Moss was absolutely amazing and prolific in Minnesota has a couple really down years with the Raiders, right? He's constrained by the organization. He's constrained by the scheme. He had some bad years where he had actually less catches than Cole Beasley has had the last few years, right? It sounds weird to say that Cole Beasley has more catches than Randy Moss, you know, compared to a certain point in their careers, but sure. that's, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it, it's almost sounds sacrilegious. And then he goes to New England, Randy Moss doesn't tears it up. And so that's because Cole Beasley in Dallas and then later in Buffalo was put in the right scheme. It was a good fit for him. He was allowed to, you know, extend beyond his natural talents of being a, a smaller wide receiver and be extremely productive. So what so you're kind of saying of kind of is, uh, and this is a point I would like to get to, and scheme is more de mostly dependent on the coach, not so yeah. much the player. And what you're saying is Cole Beasley was selected to these teams more so because he fit their scheme, and he's successful because he is picked not for his talent, but for his fit into their scheme, whereas Randy Moss, they didn't care if he fit the scheme. They picked him because of his talent, and that may be why he wasn't as successful in some of their schemes. Right, so I think, and you can see that in the NFL. New England's a great example historically. Baltimore has been this way for a long time as well. They're very good at identifying players that, either fit their scheme or their system or can put them in a certain role. So I'll give you an example of the greatest marriage of scheme and talent. And you're witnessing it as a Baltimore fan. Every game we all witness as NFL fans is Lamar Jackson, right? He's obviously a very physical, talented phenom athlete. You could put him at receiver, running back safety. He could be a productive player. He's, he's, he's outstanding athletically and with the, certainly with the ball in his hands and even with the ball, not in his hands, I'm sure he'd be great. But when he's put in that scheme and the system that they run, it's allowed him to accelerate beyond his natural talents and, you know, be very productive, win an MVP, win a lot of games, you know, the opposite, right. If you look at sort of the polar opposites from the quarterback perspective is scheme is 10 Tebow with Denver. And that year they beat the Pittsburgh in the playoffs and he won a bunch of games. Yeah. It was all the scheme. It was all the situation. It was all the coaching. Talent is Rogers is Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. He's, he can make all the throws. He has the arm strength to do everything. He's even yes. pretty quick on his feet. So. Yeah. So when you get that perfect marriage, right, you get what you have with Baltimore now, which is multiple trips to the playoffs, you know, very, very uh, successful team, a lot of games, a lot of wins. When you have just scheme, right, you have the one magical year with Denver, but it's not sustainable, right? You can't have a long career. I love Cole Beasley. His career is uh, both his potential and how long he can play is severely limited, whereas Randy Moss could play a lot longer and have a lot more big-time seasons. Absolutely. Uh, this, sorry, go ahead. I was, I was agreeing with you. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, so, like, and the same thing with Rodgers, right? Rodgers has all the talent in the world, um, but his constraint uh, is the coaching in the organization, and that's why we see him so frustrated and upset in the offseason, because he knows it. 
right? He knows without him, they're a bad team. And so while he is, while he personally is not constrained, his team success is, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then getting a little deeper into it, uh, I did a little research on some people and year one specifically that I'll get to you last, you know, a little bit more than I do. And I'll let you talk on that. But I think the coach is who defines the scheme. Um, and I think I picked a couple guys who, uh, one, two, are they have a scheme and they pick the player to fit their scheme. And then one guy fit the scheme to his talent. Like you almost said in Baltimore, they ran a completely different offense to fit their scheme to Lamar Jackson's talent. Uh, first, a bad scheme coach I have, or an unsuccessful, Chip Kelly. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, huge scheme. Um, a couple of things he did is he had a ton of talent on the team. Um, he had LaShawn McCoy, a Eagles all-time leading rusher. He had a pretty good linebacker in Kiko Alonso, and he had a relatively successful safety in Byron Maxwell. I think they're all pretty good guys, but they didn't fit his scheme, so to speak, and he immediately got rid of those guys off the team. Uh, whether it was successful or not, it wasn't successful, but whether it was a good decision or not, um, I, I mean, that's yet to be seen. Uh, but I would say he is more of a guy, he had a scheme, he made some crazy draft selections. He had a couple of hits with like Ertz, and a couple of other guys that he drafted, but he had a couple of huge busts as well. Um, and then he had a free agency. He picked up DeMarco Murray, thought it could fit the scheme, obviously did not fit the scheme, and did not replicate his career rushing year in Dallas that he had the previous season. Uh, but a good scheme coach is Bill Belichick, who I think he has a scheme, and he picks the players to fit his scheme, and I have a couple of cool things. This is a um, scouting report of Bill Belichick defining his uh, each position with the scheme that he wants, and like he clearly defines it. So a couple of cool ones I'll go into is tight ends. Um, he says tight end number one has to be a pass catcher. You think Ozzie Newsom, Keith Jackson types? Uh. They don't need to be an offensive line type guy in a tight end jersey. They don't need to be strong blockers. Um, says, take what we can get from him on the blocking. He just gets in the way uh, and ties up anybody who's trying to get through the hole. Uh, number two and number three tight end needs, they have to be blockers uh, for situational running situations. And can be also used in the in-betweener role. Not quite a tight end, but not fast enough to be a wideout. Um, he says uh, Noviak or Julian type guys. Uh, he even goes so far to this two, number 2-3 two, guy. He says the ideal height uh, minimum is 6-3. Weight minimum is 235. He outlines that. Uh... He just really does a lot in outlining who exactly he wants to be there, and I think that's the schemes 
And then for the quarterback, I think this will be interesting. Uh, he's got number one thing, which obviously we saw with Tom Brady. Number one need, they have to make good decisions. Then, arm strength, size, physicality, uh, leadership abilities, all those come secondary. He says they have to make good decisions. Um, the emphasis of their game is going to be on decision-making, timing, and accuracy. They have to be confident, intelligent. Um, they have to have field judge awareness, good judgment, cannot be sloppy with the football, have to be fundamentally sound, um, great footwork, good drops, all that kind of stuff. So I just thought it was very interesting how in-depth he outlines a lot of that stuff. Well, and not only does he outline it in-depth, right, he actually has helped to that. Right. And you brought up a good example with Chip Kelly. He was just looking for the way it's, you know, you look at if you have LaShawn McCoy, you know, who's obviously a very good player. And then you get rid of him for DeMarco Murray, who, you know, was a good player at the time. But they're completely different. Well, it, it's more like, what are you trying to accomplish? Right. It, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it, you know, it's it's not like you're it's not even so much that they're as different as it almost seems like you're just saying, well, I'm trading that guy for that guy. You know, it almost seems like a fantasy football move. Right. Whereas Belichick, his decision making is predicated on the role he sees them fitting in his team. You know, he's gone after Gronk Hernandez. He got John R. Smith and Hunter Henry this offseason, similar role, right? Who he wants at the quarterback. You know, obviously Brady's one people remember, but when Brady got his start in 01, it was because Bledsoe, Drew Bledsoe got hurt. And Drew Bledsoe was kind of the opposite of what Belichick wanted. He was a very aggressive, he was a gunslinger, not didn't care so much about turnovers, was after big plays and big yards down the field. So even when Bledsoe got healthy, he stuck with Brady for that reason, same reason why he went away from Kent Newton this year. So it's not only just having a scheme, having a good scheme, but sticking to it in a way that makes sense. You know, you just don't want to make, uh, I call them fantasy football trades. You don't want to just trade guys for for no reason. You want to trade guys that you have a reason for them to fit in your team and and your scheme and your plan. So long-term success and schemes is more so drafting over a period of time to fit your scheme, not to make rash decisions, uh, is better than, like you say, oh, this guy had, you know, set the rushing record for the NFL, leading rusher last year. Let's pick him, Murray, or Lamar. Uh, LaShawn McCoy didn't have a great season last year. Let's get him out of here. You know, you just got to stick to your scheme and draft the players to fit the scheme. Eventually you'll hit. Well, or right. The flip side is you get a guy who's so talented that you adjust your scheme to him. Yeah. Which is Lamar Jackson or like a Patrick Mahomes is kind of a different, not quite the level of Jackson, but but similar. Leads me into a, a coach who I think did do that is a Don Shula type who really adjusted his scheme to fit his talent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every, everyone knows about their undefeated seasons with uh, in the early 70s with Larry Sanka, Jim Kick, Mercury Morris, no-name defense, Nick Bonacani. Um, And then, obviously, they were a good team for a while. They had a good defense in the early 80s as, as well. Um, but then they get Marino, right, and it's completely flips. Now they're a high-flying, aggressive team with – you know, uh, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper and, and, and Marino. And they're that way through the rest of the tenure, basically with the Dolphins, uh, Shula's tenure. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, that's an outstanding example, right? He was a very disciplined, uh, defensive-minded coach, 
run the football, uh, take care of the football. Um, for the better part of his career and had a lot of success during that, obviously, he gets a transcendent talent in Dan Marino. And he's not stupid or arrogant enough to think, well, I'm just going to have Dan Marino throw the ball 15 times a game. No, you got Dan Marino. You're going to let him throw 50. the football around. You know, it's, it's you got Lamar Jackson. You're not going to ask him to hand the ball off 35 times and, and throw, you know, little swing passes. You want him to be aggressive and, and, and run the options and get him out in space to make plays. You know, so, you know, it's a great example. You know, what Shula did is, is a, you know, and the success he had is, is further proof of how that's a right way to go about running your team. And uh, if unless you didn't cover everything you wanted to cover, I think that was a great way of, like, breaking it down and going into what is scheme, what is talent. Uh, and I think we answered the question, which one's better? Neither of them are better if you don't do it well. You yeah. just have to adapt your scheme to your talent if you get the talent or draft your talent to fit your scheme. You, you got to do one or the other. And yeah. if you stick to it and do it well, each of them can be successful. Correct. Belichick's scheme, obviously it works. Shula's way of adapting the talent or his scheme to fit his talent, obviously that works as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, Getting in to our, I think this will be a little bit, more interesting each week. We'll have a little more games to go on, but our worst to first. All right. Uh, we have the AFC South this week. I think again, start from the bottom, work our way to the top. This will be easy. Uh, I think we probably both have the same one here. I have in my four slot, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of work to do. Drafting Trevor Lawrence isn't going to turn the team around immediately. They still have a lot more work to do. Um, I think that's all you really need to be said. Uh, new head coach, uh, is he even going to stick around? Who knows? That Southern Cal job opened up all of a sudden. You never know what's going to happen. But uh, new coach, new quarterback, a team that needs a lot of work, they're, they're just not going to be anywhere but the bottom of that division in, for at least another year or two. Yeah, I mean they're they're, they're god awful. I mean, they they played very very poorly. They were down a lot. In this you know the final they lost by sixteen, but the you know the actual performance was worse than that. Um, you know, and and you brought up Urban Meyer, and I know we like to joke about him, but I think seriously, it, it's he's going to go through a lot of losses like this this year, and I personally think it's going to wear on him. I mean, when you come from Ohio State and Florida, and you're used to killing people, you know, losing once or twice a year at most. I think this is really going to wear on him and wear on the psyche of the team. Um, yeah, and I agree with you 100%. Jaguars, bottom of this division right now and probably that way for a very long time. So my number three, and this is where we might differ from, but maybe not. Based on last week, I wanted to make this different, but I don't want to jump too quickly. So in the number three spot, I have the Houston Texans, who's very surprised me. Uh, Tyrod Taylor looked just at home uh, in the Texans' offense, even after they traded probably like every single good player that they've ever had on their team. Uh, I, I don't know how, but they still look pretty good. I know they played the worst team, uh, so these guys, you know. But a bad NFL team still a tough thing to beat. Like they say, any given Sunday, uh, any team can win out there. But the Texans, I think we talked about this a little while ago. Uh, there's a team of veterans 
They're not going to play bad football. They're not necessarily going to be crazy good either. They're going to play smart football, not make a lot of mistakes. I think still they only win five, six games at the most this season because eventually they're going to fall out. But in this early part of the year, their sound football is going to beat some lesser talented, maybe younger teams, you know, flashy football that could beat them later on in the season. But uh, that's who I have in my number three slot. Yeah, and I agree. I got Houston at number three. Yeah, they played well. They beat the Breaks off Jaguars, which is you know credit to them. It's like you said, it no uh, no NFL win is is easy. It's no NFL wins a given. Um, I just think there's a lot of variability with Houston in the early part of the season. The new head coach, they got Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. Um, so I think early on that is their best chance to win a lot of games. You know, as teams trying to watch film and figure out how they're going to play. Um, they're not a deep team. They got some veteran guys, but, you know, I, I think injuries uh, to their team because they're, they're not deep are going to hit them really hard injuries. And once teams get film on them, I think I see them, you know, potentially having a big losing streak in the middle of the year, uh, something like that. I think five wins, maybe a little bit of a stretch, um, but I, I agree with you. I think they're the third, uh, third team in that division. Who do you have in your number two slot? Yeah. So this is tough because um, both look, pretty bad um i'm not giving them up on them yet uh but i think the way they played last week is you know means i gotta you know show a little tough love and that's tennessee you know obviously they, they got killed by arizona at home which is never good but i think the part that frustrated me the most is a lot of what they were supposed to be good at was just bad right they didn't run the ball. well they like i mean they ran the ball a little bit. They fell behind, which hurt. But Taylor Lewan is supposed to be one of their better offensive linemen, and he got absolutely destroyed by Chandler Jones. I couldn't protect at all. You know, Tannehill had a couple turnovers. He's supposed to be game manager, got a little bit better at that. Julio Jones was a disappointment. It's week one, so I don't want to overreact too much. Obviously, yeah. the defense was a disaster. But I, so I don't want to overreact too much either to how bad they played or how good potentially uh, Arizona looked. But I just think the way that game played out, you know, hopefully it's a wake up call for that team. They can turn it around. I certainly think they can, but I have Tennessee at the number two spot. I think they looked really bad against well, the Arizona. Great minds think alike. I have them there as well. I'm not going to dwell on it too much. I will say great move by Lawan to get out in front of that, put the tweet out there apologizing for his poor play. Uh, obviously, pay the man. Chandler Jones needs his money. Uh, five sacks. What a way to say, you know, I think he did one of these. Uh, you know, the Johnny Manziel money uh, thing after he gets the sack, uh, one of his, uh, his later sacks. But uh, yeah, so um, but I'll move on. Obviously, each of us have the Colts as our number one team. I agree with you on that. Uh, I think Wentz look good. I think they have a good defense. Not I think they're good all around the ball i don't think they're necessarily great anywhere maybe except for linebacker uh but i think they're very strong all around the ball i think on offense uh i think ty is out for a little while but still that didn't really hurt them i think Pittman is good enough to maybe win him a couple games until uh hilton gets back but um they look strong and quite frankly this might be the worst division in football right now. Uh, I don't really know anyone who would be worse than them. Um, but they're, they're, well, I'll at least say this. Their bad teams 
are by far the worst teams. So uh, it was, you know, it wasn't too hard to put the Colts here, but, you know, the Titans easily could have gone here if they got a win, but who knows. Yeah, so I think part of it, right, is obviously losing to Seattle, right? So all teams have a loss, but I think Seattle's a really, really great team. Um, I, I, I picked them to make a run in the Super Bowl this year, so I'm, I'm kind of riding my own biases there. Uh, I think the concern with Indianapolis was, I, I outlined it last week, was, look, Wentz getting warmed up, you know, kind of getting used to the new scheme, new players, obviously Hilton's out. Uh, getting used to Pittman, who obviously has talent, who they're looking to get a lot out of. I think that defense is good. Um, so I, I say this is a team is sort of the anti-Houston, right? Where Whereas Houston, I said, is going to get worse as teams get more film, as they get more reps. You know, they don't have a lot of depth. The Colts will get better as Wentz gets more timing with his players and the team and the offense around them. They actually have a good amount of depth at a lot of key positions. Um, they've got a great offensive line. They've got a good defense, good receiver course, solid running back, good coach, a good GM. So I think this is a team that's going to get better as the year goes on. Um, I have them at number one as well. I, you know, I think they're going to end up being a playoff team as the year progresses, barring any injuries. So I've got a uh, Indianapolis uh, tied with last place in the division at 0 one, but uh, number one in my power ranking. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to our top five this week. Offensive linemen, somewhere near and dear to your heart, the big guys don't get enough love, are, uh, you know, second time doing the top five. Let's go out and get them. Uh, I will give you a, I think you're a little bit, I love offensive linemen too. I love, my favorite positions in the NFL are pass catching fullbacks and tight ends. So I will say that. Um, my, this was tough for me because you have like three positions on the o-line guards tackles and centers so i kind of picked a few of the top out of those spots and sprinkled them over my list i say again we start from five to one and then after one we'll give our honorable mention pick um i will start my number five uh somebody that you know pretty well uh i will say guard for the dallas cowboys zach martin great football player um he was hurt last year, but still played pretty good. Um, he's just a road grader, you know, absolute mauler. Uh, and I think in his career, he's only allowed one sack. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what more could you want from a guy like that at the guard position? Easily top two guards in the league right now. Yeah, and I'll so- say probably not even – I say top two – there's an argument that he's number one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, my number five is uh, Jason Kelsey, uh, center for uh, Philly. Um, I think this is a guy back when Philly was winning championship and was good a few years ago. Didn't get the credit he deserved. He had to do a lot for that offensive line. They That team and that scheme had a lot of uh, RPO, run pass options, a lot of sweeps out of shotgun, which in, involves the center pulling and having to get out in space. Um, he, he does it all very well. He moves very well. He's been a good leader for that offensive line for a long time. I think he gets, uh, you know, a, as he's gotten older, he's gotten a little injury prone. That's why I think I have him at number five and not even higher. Um, but I think he's done a great job uh, heading up that offensive line for a long time. Um, he gets overshadowed a little bit by uh, his brother, Travis, a tight end in Kansas City, obviously. But I think uh, Jason Kelsey's a great player. I, I've, I've got him number five on my list. 
uh, at my number four here, I have a uh, guard now center uh, for the Detroit Lions, Frank Ragnow. First of all, number one tier list for offensive lineman name, uh, Frank Ragnow just sounds like you know a mauler, uh, and he is one. Um, no sacks allowed on 609 pass block uh, reps at center. Uh, he is a great run blocker. Obviously, he's a pretty good pass blocker. And the stat that really put him here for me is that uh, last December, he had a fractured throat and did not miss a single snap. Uh, that's what you want out of a center, just a tough, tough football player. And that's why I have him in my number four slot. Yeah, so I, I agree you want a tough guy, and, and you know, I, I match number five with Zach Martin, right? And I think I agree Zach Martin's – I think Zach Martin's the best offensive player on Dallas, and I'd argue their best player, more than Prescott, uh, more than Elliott, obviously, more than uh, Cooper. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a great, versatile offensive lineman at guard. Uh, people forget he played tackle last year when he needed to play tackle. He'll probably do it again for the next five games uh, shifts out to right tackle because he, he can do them both. He's really, really good at both good run blocking, good pass blocking gets to the second level, which is linebackers and gets on them and moves them effectively as well. Um, real lunch pail guy, real tough guys fought through injuries. Uh, I think I, you know, I think Zach Martin is, is a, a really nice player for, and has been for a long time. He's, he's number four on my list. Uh, when he plays guard, is he left or right? Plays right guard. Okay, well, not quite there, but I will say he kind of reminds me of a young Marshall Yonda. So, I think Marshall Yonda uh, reminds me of a of Zach Martin. But okay, okay. Well, uh, one of them's definitely a Hall of Famer, and he'll be there pretty soon. But Zach probably will get there eventually. Uh, number three, have Green Bay Packers David Bakhtiari. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, you know, he just got paid, like paid, paid. Uh, he's pretty, like, I'd say one of the highest paid offensive linemen out there right now. Uh, in the NFC championship game last year, you really saw how crucial he is to that team. He was out and it really showed, um, Rogers got sacked five times that game. So, uh, it, a pretty, pretty big, uh, testament to back DRs, uh, need on that team so uh i think rogers loves him he's glad he's back uh i have him in my number three slot yeah you bring up a great point right offensive linemen you only hear about when they get penalized or beat but you really noticed it when they're not there right bakhtiar is gone the packers struggle um my number three guy you know i look at the best guard in football and one of my favorite players to watch in football is quentin nelson for indianapolis this dude has a is just a mauler, just destructive force of nature. You know, he has a mean mentality and plays mean. He plays tough and he just buries defensive linemen and linebackers. What I like about him so much is, you know, he, you know, we always talk about playing to the whistle and finishing blocks as something offensive linemen have beaten their heads. Well, it's really obviously hard to do that. A lot of times at like the NFL level where you're blocking someone who's an, an elite athlete, he's able to get on guys, move guys, stay on guys and finish guys routinely. I mean, these are elite level athletes that he's able to do this to. It's really impressive. I, I've got him at number three. Um, I agree. Uh, he's a pretty special guy. Um, and like we said, someone who you 
you notice when they're gone, uh, when they get hurt. Uh, huge, huge detriment to the team. Uh, my number two slot, I tried to be as least biased as possible. I have Ronnie Stanley for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, broke his leg last year, tragically, or ankle. Um, it was a big, big... Uh, obviously, Brown could cover over as best as he could, but you really, we really miss Stanley last there. Um, he's only allowed nine sacks in his career, but that's on 2,500 pass blocking attempts, which is a pretty large sample size. Um, since Jackson has started, there's only been three uh, sacks since 2018. Um, uh, I, I think that he's just a great player, big guy, great pass blocker, can be great in the run game as well, can do anything that you need him to do. Uh, obviously, I see the most out of him because I watch him every Sunday, but um, I think he's definitely up there and some of the best players out there. Yeah, and sort of following the theme, right, and I think you're going this way as well, is offensive linemen, ranking offensive linemen, you get the sometimes some of the better players interior, but at the top of your list got to be tackles. And then, and I this is where I put David Bakhtiari, Green Bay. You already mentioned him, so I won't go into too many details about it, but what he gives Aaron Rodgers and that offense is so important. He needs to be out there for them to be as successful, especially since they don't have as much talent around them. He gives Aaron Rodgers that extra beat, that extra layer of security. I ranked him at number two. Um, I do agree with you. Uh, tackles are pretty special, but maybe not number one special. My number one list, someone that what you've already talked about, Quentin Nelson, uh, guard for Indianapolis. I think he's one of the most talented offensive linemen out there. Uh, I think his beard-mustache combo that he last he had last year is pretty sick uh the jorts also pretty sick um you know he's one of 14 guards in nfl history to be drafted in the first six picks i think it shows why he was drafted there and he showed that he deserved it um i think he's only allowed three sacks and 2100 pass blocking reps uh, he's probably not pass blocking's his least valuable skill. He's an amazing run blocker, and that's to not a detriment to him. He's an amazing pass blocker, but he's an incredible run blocker. You that that uh video that came out of him screaming as he I think it was actually dubbed over, but uh where he absolutely levels that guy uh run blocking is just you know Quentin Nelson's a special player. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree he's great, but I think, you know, like I said, you got to, in my opinion, you put tackles at the top, and that's what my number one guy is, and I go Trent Williams uh, for the 49ers. This guy was a great left tackle for a long time with uh, Washington, has some disputes there with their medical staff, goes to San Francisco. This guy is absolutely outstanding. I think the thing that blows me away is his athleticism as a run blocker. He's obviously very effective, but he gives uh, Mike Shanahan in that running game so much extra oomph because he can move, he can get out in space, he can stay with guys. And this is a, you know, it's like we talked about on one of our earlier shows, the 49ers are all about running and action off of that and trying to figure out ways to break the defense's rules. Well, Trent Williams is such a good run blocker that he kind of creates an environment that forces defenders to break their own rules and gives the 49ers a chance to make big plays. He was absolutely awesome against Detroit last Sunday. He was absolutely awesome last year. He's had a great career 
run blocking, run blocking, pass blocking, athleticism, you know, and he's as great as he is, you know, his ability to shift from one scheme, right. You go DC Washington to go right into Shanahan's and uh, San Francisco and keep being that same high level player. I think that should be commended. And I think that's why he's my number one guy. And I, I would easily put him at my sixth spot in the top five. He's right there. And I think any of these guys really can kind of be interchanged in any of these spots. All of them are great players. Uh, some of them play different positions, but uh, they're all incredible athletes, incredible players, and you'd be glad to have any of these guys on your team. Yep. Um, my underdog, um, runner-up, whatever we want to call it, pick that I have is Andrew Whitworth from the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, two things, all we need to know is he's still an elite player. He does great things when he gets on the field, and he's 40 years old. So I wanted to give him some, a shout-out. Yeah, no, I, I think Whitworth is, is a sort of an impressive case. You know, you, you talked about guys you want to have on your team. Well, my undervalued guy is a guy, if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team and you're playing him, you hate him. And that's Ryan Jensen, uh, center at Tampa Bay. This guy is a feisty player. He's not necessarily the best center in the NFL, but he's a, a good leader on that offensive line. He's a solid run blocker, solid pass blocker, but he plays hard, he plays the whistle. He plays one second beyond the whistle, two seconds beyond the whistle. I think sometimes he plays five seconds beyond the whistle. Um, but he's able to, you know, get defenders' heads. He's able to to really intimidate some of these guys. And I think what has shown is is how much he's able to kind of be the bouncer for Tom Brady in a way, um, which takes a certain mentality to get there. He's a small college guy. Um, I think he's a little underraised, undervalued. Uh, I think he's a great player. I've got Ryan Jensen at my undervalued slot. I agree, and he was on my team, and I do miss him. I think a funny quip about him was uh, him almost not being Brady center because his uh, butt sweat problem was a little bit rough, but they got the baby powder in there. They got it figured out, and he's clearly the superior center. Uh, I can't remember who exactly they brought in to replace him, but it wasn't really that great, and uh, they um, went on, and uh, he's there. He's the better player. You got to love love a guy, right, who's, you know – the one detriment on the scanner report is his butt sweat. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a guy I want on my team, you know? Yeah. And I think all centers should have some butt sweat. Uh, I think it's a crucial uh, uh, attribute they need to have. Um, Moving on to our last segment, our uh, weekly pick em segment. Uh, let's see if we can do a little bit better this week than we did last week. Uh, we had some big misses last week. I think we can rein it in a little bit better. Um. Number one game, I'm going to go into this briefly because it's personal for me, and I'll say it. Like, I'll, I I might not have the clearest thing, but let's touch on Ravens-Chiefs for a first game. Uh, the Chiefs look great. Uh, they played tough Browns team last week. They almost lost, but they found the way to win like they always do. Uh, the Ravens played tough Oakland team last week. They made tough mistakes. They got to clean it up. Uh, they almost won, but they didn't. I think maybe is closer than it normally is, but the Chiefs have had the Ravens number for the last three years. They haven't beat them yet. Um, I think Jackson, the offense, and the defense, there's so many new pieces out there right now. They still need a little bit more time to mesh. It might be not a complete blowout, but I think the Chiefs 
pull this one out. Um, I think the Ravens really could have used a few more weeks to mesh to face such a tough opponent. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think Kansas City win the game, wins this game. I think there's two things to look for, right? I think it's, it's the injuries now at the offensive line for Baltimore, right? The one thing Kansas City can do is rush the passer a little bit. Um, and they have, they have playmakers at the back end, obviously at secondary, but getting after the passer, which, which, uh, which they'll be able to do more now with the injuries that Baltimore has, I think that plays a role. Um, I, I think I would have been more inclined to pick Baltimore at home until I saw their defensive play calling and execution in the second half against Vegas. If they don't have the faith they can cover Vegas's receivers, no offense to the Raiders guys, then there's no way they can stay with Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and all those, you know, the rest of that high-flying Kansas City offense. I think, you know, seeing that and seeing the injuries Baltimore has on the offensive line, I think this is a Kansas City win. Yeah, it, it'll be tough. Uh, I will watch it. I will not like it, but maybe it'll surprise me. Like we said, any given Sunday, uh, you know, maybe Mahomes goes down. Who knows? I hate, I maybe it's like a minor ankle sprain. He's only out for the rest of the game, but who knows? Uh, number two game I have slotted in here is the Rams versus Colts. For me, this one's easy. I'm sticking with my team that I got to go in Super Bowl. I'm sticking with my guy I have in MVP. Uh, return to form. I got the Rams over the Colts. The Colts still look like they have a lot they need to put together still. They did look strong last week. They looked good in a loss, uh, which is important, but I don't... I, the Rams have a good defense. The Rams have a great offense. The Rams are in win-now mode. The Colts are trying to rebuild and get to the point where they can win. Uh, I think it's an easy win from the Rams. I think the Colts don't really give too much of a problem. Yeah, I, I think this one's tough for me. I picked against the Rams last week, and I'm going to double down on my decision-making. I'm going to go with Indianapolis this week. Um, I, I think the challenge... For, for me in that offense, uh, from the Rams' perspective, is, Stan, is uh, Stafford's consistency, right? Because when you're playing for Detroit and you have a great game and play a bat and have a you know a down game the, the following week, it doesn't matter because you're Detroit, your roster wasn't great to begin with. You know, can he match that? Can he go on the road against a solid Indianapolis defense and have another big game? I'm willing to think he does, and I think it's a little bit step back for them uh, from their offensive execution wise. And I think Wentz, like I said, he gets better. This offense gets a little bit better than they were against Seattle. It, it, to me, I think this is close. I think this is, this could go either way. I, I think this is more the fact, look, it's Indianapolis at home. Wentz has another game under his belt. I'm going with the Colts. Um, do you think the fact that uh, there's a little bit more um, film out there on the now Stafford McVay offense, does that help? Yeah, I think definitely now that teams like, okay, they're they're not afraid to chunk it deep down the field. Stafford can make those throws and McVay's gonna call that. I think, you know, it, it'll be a couple double-edged sword, right? Because teams will expect that more, which will open up the underneath game. But I think where is you know Indianapolis really good, right? They got Leonard in the front seven. So they've they've got their counteraction with their players to that underneath game. Oh yeah. So he's I think great. That, he's a maniac. That's why they yeah. call him that. Yeah, so so I think you know the Colts will, will know that deep game that potentially is coming, and they'll rely on Leonard to make plays uh, in the front seven in the box, which I think he'll be able to do. And I think that's going to be one of the big differences in the game. Uh, and finally, each of us pick a game to watch our underdog game of the week, so to speak. Uh, last week I selected 
the Washington football team versus the Los Angeles Chargers. I think it was a good game. It came down. Washington didn't win, but Fitzpatrick did go out. I think they could have pulled it out if he would have stayed in. But uh, it was a tough game, and it came. It was within a few points at the end. So uh, I think that was a good one. Uh, this week I'm going a different route. Eagles versus 49ers is my game to watch. Um, I think the Eagles had a big win last week. I think they look good. Uh, I think Hurts look good. I think that uh, they're a strong team. Um, but the main thing I have to watch here is I think the 49ers take a major step back with Mostert being out uh, for the season now. Um, and they're a huge predicated on the running game. Um, they played a bad Lions team last week who got worse with the switch from Stafford to Goff. They let them score 33 points on them. I will acknowledge that 16 of those were in what we would call garbage time. Um, I think their defense won't be able to hold Philly's offense, and I think Philly wins this one because the Niners' offense won't be as high-powered as it was last week. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I'm I'm going uh, – I think you'll like this one too, by the way. So – I think after Pittsburgh upset Buffalo, you kind of feel a little hype. People think, oh, Roethlisberger, the Steelers, the Mystique is back. I'm not buying it, right? Just little numbers for you. Roethlisberger and the Steelers, they, they beat uh, Bills, obviously. You know, Big Ben had less than 200 yards passing. They had less than 100 yards rushing as a team. The Bills had more yards, first downs, better on third down, uh, passing, rushing. I mean, it was, it was across the board. The Bills were far and away the better team. Uh, I'm sorry. I said the bills just couldn't convert. Right. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they couldn't take advantage of their opportunities. That was more of a bills loss than a Pittsburgh win. I I think this is a a Steelers letdown game. They play the Raiders. I think the Raiders are riding high. I think uh, the Raiders are one of those teams where they kind of are more of a strong starter earlier in the season. And they kind of Peter out season goes on. I think they ride that wave. Um, I think this this looks like a Raiders win against Pittsburgh. Oh, well, I do like that. Uh, I don't like Pittsburgh. I respect them. I respect some of their players, but I hate them as a team. Um, I was hoping, you know, maybe they go 8-0 again and then fizzle out and be the worst 10-0 team in history last year. Uh, but uh, I would agree with you. I think the Bills will probably were had a tough one. I think the Raiders come in and... They could pull it out easy. I could see them doing it. So we'll see. We'll have to see what happens. Um, I think that concludes it for us this week. Uh, it was another great show. Uh, I, I'm really liking it. Th- we're th- three in, uh, three strong shows, and we're only getting better every week. So uh, that's all I have to say. Anything? Any final words? Oh, just another great show, man. Uh, a lot of fun. Just get ready for week two. All right. Well. Everybody, we'll see you next week.